Well, kids, how are you doing? Good. You know, many people obviously have a last name. I know all of your last names. We also often have a first name. I also know all of your first names. Uh, what's my first name? What's my first name? You don't know my first name? Mr. Pastor. Mr. Didi. Yes, my first name is Didi. Do you know my second name? My second name is my Chinese name. And it's, and it's Yat. That's my, sounds funny, doesn't it? Sounds funny, but that's what my Chinese name is. It's my second name. What, are your, what is your middle name? What is your middle names? What's your middle name? Julia Catherine. Catherine. Julia Catherine. What's your middle name? Cole. Uh-huh. What's your middle name? You forgot. What's Malachi's middle name? Charles. Is it Charles? Yeah. What's your middle name? Grace. What's your middle name? Was it? Caitlin. Caitlin? Caitlin Ruth. I Ruth. Is it Ruth? Yes, Ruth. Got it. What's your middle name? Edward. Edward. Okay. Edward. 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 Right. So, did you know that Jesus kind of has a middle name too? In today's passage, uh, it talks about how Jesus would be known by another name. Did you guys hear it read just now? What's the other name that Jesus... Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And we sang it quite a few times. And what does Emmanuel mean? Does anyone know what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. God with us. It is this beautiful truth in this very simple phrase that, 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 that is the meaning of the name Emmanuel. Now, what do you think Emmanuel, I mean, what does God with us mean? Let me, let me try to, let me, let me ask you in a very, very specific way. I want you to follow me with your eyes, not with your feet. Follow me with your eyes, okay? Wherever I go, follow me with your eyes. And I'll ask you a question, all right? Follow me with your eyes. Don't follow me with your feet. Hey, kids. Hey, does God with us mean that God is kind of in the same room as you, a really big room, close enough that you can hear him and he can hear you? Is this what God with us means? What do you think? No? Okay. Do you think God with us means that he's a little bit closer, maybe in the back of the room? You can see him better now that he's not so far away. Is this what God with us means? No? Okay. Someone stand on the stage here. Okay, Lydia. Great. Does God with us mean... Come stand here. Does God with us mean this? No. Is this what God with us mean? That he's this close to you? No. Yes, yes, yes. Yes? You think so? Yes. Do you think that what God with us means? God is everywhere? That's also true. You guys, you know, at the end of the service, we do this thing called communion. And we take this bread, and we take this wine, and we eat it, right? And it goes inside of us. So God with us is not God is kind of far away, but can hear us. It is not God with us. He's so close to you that you're kind of uncomfortable. Us is he is so close so near that he is inside of us. 
that his spirit lives inside of us when we believe in him, the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus comes to save and he promises to be God with us, that is how close and near he promises to be. And this Advent and Christmas season, I want you to think about what a wonderful truth is that God, if you believe in him, is never, ever far away, no matter, even if you feel that he's far away, if you have faith in him, that he is inside of you through his spirit. Okay? All right, thanks for joining me. Go sit with your parents. In today's passage, we're going to see just this beautiful, simple truth that since Jesus is God with us, so let's delight in God and his nearness. Since Jesus is God with us, let's delight in God and his nearness. It's easy for us to take for granted this idea of God being near us, just like it's easy for us to take for granted those closest to us in, in our relationships. Um, and I want to talk about this passage. It's a very well-known passage, and pastors always have this problem when they come to Christmas. It's like, oh, this passage again. What am I going to say this time? And as we look at this main point of Jesus being God with us, so let's delight in God and his nearness, I just want to talk about two things, the nearness of God through Jesus and the faith of Joseph. Joseph. of God through Jesus and the, and the faith of Joseph. As you heard read earlier, this name, Emmanuel, came from this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And when we look at prophecies, often there is an, an immediate fulfillment in history, and then there's a, and, and it points then also to a future fulfillment, generally that Christ fulfills. And so not that different in the Jewish context as they were, heard this prophecy, that they definitely expected a somewhat immediate Fulfillment, maybe not that year, maybe even in a hundred years, but not thousands of years away necessarily. And they would hope, particularly when we looked at hoping for a Messiah, they, they hoped for a godlike military figure to come and deliver them and save them. Now, of course, when we, that's your expectation, that kind of Messiah is limited in his ability to be near and to be with because... He can only be near as long as he's alive, right? Once he's dead, that's it. And even as we think about Christ, at least in the context of his ministry, it'd be easy for us to think, well, it'd be so great if we lived in Jesus' time and we could be near Jesus, that we could talk with Jesus, that we could recline with Jesus, eat with Jesus. And certainly that would have been wonderful. Yet at the very same time, the promise of Scripture of the nearness of God is even greater than living, eating, dwelling with Jesus. And it's important for us to know the nearness of God can only be accomplished through Jesus. And that is a truth that scripture teaches again and again and again. We have to remember the context of worship. Am I doing something wrong here with this mic? Maybe I'll move it. Maybe I'm jostling it. Um... We have to remember the context of worship for the Jewish people, right? The nearness of God was not something they took for granted, right? Yes, they understood the presence of God was in the temple of God, specifically in the ark of the Lord, and yet there were many barriers set up 
between them and the presence of God there at the center of the temple. And it was supposed to be instructed to them, instructive to them that God was meant to be the center of their lives, that all of their lives were meant to be lived out of the presence of God. And yet they understood there were these, all these barriers and, and rituals that kept them from the nearness of God, that there was this God who was holy and not necessarily easy to come close to, and that there was a transcendent and holy God that cannot be approached lightly. More than anywhere else than I've lived, when I lived in Colorado, I came across this kind of person more than any, anywhere else, where they wanted to worship God in nature. Now, when I say wanting to worship God in nature, I don't mean they want to go into nature and see, wow, God is so amazing. I feel so worshipful when I'm looking at the mountains in Colorado. Not that kind of worshiping God in nature. Worshiping God in nature in the sense of believing that God himself is in the fabric of nature. And therefore, we should go into nature so that we can worship God who is in the fabric of nature. I had a neighbor, actually, who believed this as well. I mean, in philosophically, we can call this panentheism or transcendentalism. So I had a neighbor, I was talking with him, and he said, yeah, I've tried a lot of different churches in town, and in the end, I really didn't like any of them. The place where I worship God the best because I'm a transcendentalist is just to go be in nature, to go take my canoe down the river, which sounds great. And I love being in nature to worship God as well. But it is important, very important for us as Christians to see what Scripture teaches us about the nature of God and where the nature of God is. It is important to, dis to differentiate that God is not in the fabric of nature, that God created nature. He is separate from nature. God is everywhere because he's omnipresent, but he is not, again, woven into the fabric of nature. God's handiwork and his attributes are made clear through God's creation, but God's creation is not God. And perhaps this will make it clear. A little illustration. My middle son, Shiloh, he loves creating things. He's, he just loves creating things. And he went through a phase recently where he was really into origami. And so he was making all kinds of incredible origami stuff. And I was really impressed just what he could make out of a sheet of paper. And so here I got an example of something he made. And you've probably seen something like this. Here's an origami crane that he made, right? Pretty cool. He made a bunch of these and rhinoceroses and shurikens and all kinds of things. It's origami really is a beautiful picture of almost making something out of nothing, right? You still needed a piece of paper, right? But paper is almost like nothing, and he made this beautiful crane out of it. Now, it would be quite silly if I began to think that because, God, uh, because Shiloh created this origami crane, that Shiloh is now a, a part of his soul or a part of his being, a part of his person is in this crane. And that I started talking to this crane like Shiloh was in it. Oh, hi, Shiloh. What amazing creativity you have. How are you doing today? This would be quite silly if I related to his creation as if it were himself. And perhaps for you Harry Potter fans, my family and I watched all the Harry Potter movies from the la in the last two weeks, just finished it yesterday. 
the last one. If you're familiar with it, you maybe already know where I'm going. But if you don't, the, Vol- the villain Voldemort, he tears out a bit of his soul and puts it into objects. And so the story is that they have to destroy not only the villain Voldemort himself, but they have to, Harry Potter has to destroy these horcruxes where parts of his soul are woven into the fabric of that thing. God is the creator of all things, but God is not woven into the fabric of creation. You may wonder, why am I making such a big deal about this? Seems a bit like semantics, right? Are we being unnecessarily theologically precise here? But here's where the rubber meets the road. Okay? God indeed is everywhere. And he is, in a sense, he's always just a prayer away. But just because God is everywhere and just a prayer away doesn't mean that being restored into relationship with him is a simple thing. The nearness of God is not as simple as that. When we say that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, this is a deeply theological statement. We need to understand this because this is what Christmas is about. The importance of Christmas revolves around what do we believe Who do we believe God is? And where is this God? The birth of Christ is not necessary or has very little meaning if we believe the nearness of God is woven into the fabric of his creation. Why would Jesus need to come near by taking on flesh, by doing life here, having ministry here, if I could just go talk to the tree because God is in it? Jesus would not need to come. And Christmas would have no meaning in the end. Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnate God, the God who took on flesh through his son, Jesus Christ. For Christians, this is the foundation of our faith. The nearness of God is only accomplished through Christ himself. And this Advent and Christmas season, this truth is brought into full focus for us. And it is easy for us as Christians to take the nearness of God for granted when things are good, particularly. And I encourage you, don't take his nearness for granted. He is a holy God, and we are restored into relationship with him because of the incredible sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be restored himself because he emptied himself so that we can take on flesh live a perfect life, and then go die on the cross for our sins. It is the forgiveness of sins. Jesus saves through the forgiveness of sins that enables the nearness of God to be made possible for us. It's also very possible for us to doubt. We can, on one hand, take the nearness of God for granted, but it's also very easy for us to doubt the nearness of God when things are hard. Where are you, God? You feel so far away right now. There's so much suffering in my life. And God says, I'm right here. I live inside of you. That is how near I am to you. I may feel far away because of the suffering you're going through, but I am very much near to you. 
the idea of the nearness of God reminds me of my dating days with my wife. My wife and I dated long distance, the entirety of our dating relationship and our, and our engagement. And so lots of uh, very dramatic and dear memories from that. You know, this is, we dated pre-9-11, or 9-11 happened really uh, while we were dating. But so part of it was pre-9-11. And I can remember us like saying tearful farewells at the gates, the days when you could walk people to the gate and we're just like so dramatic and emotional farewell. Won't see you again for a semester or whatever it was. And, and we, you know, we felt the distance so clearly because we knew we wanted to be together and yet we couldn't because of where we lived. And so when, since we've been married, we probably haven't been apart for more than 10 days at most. She's very much near to me now. And we can make jokes as married couples about spouses being too near or fearing that when our spouses retire, like, okay, you're just gonna, you need to get out of my hair, go find something to do, go work at Home Depot, please. <laughs> find a hobby. It's easy for us to make these jokes in our marriages when the nearness almost feels too much. And yet we forget the nearness of God that is promised is one that is so very intimate. And our jokes about getting too much nearness with our spouses is sometimes really a picture of how afraid we are to be near another person, how afraid we are to actually show the person we love most who we are and how many barriers we can put up between us and our spouse through the years. Sometimes when we struggle in our relationships in that way, it begins hard to also imagine God being very close. But God very much promises his nearness. Don't take it for granted, but don't doubt it either in the times of, of, uh, of hardship when things are bad. He dwells inside of us and the nearness he wants with us is really much more than we can imagine ourselves. I want to take some time to talk about the faith of Joseph. In this passage, we're looking at the birth of Christ, really more from the perspective of Joseph and the decisions that Joseph made. And what we can see is that Joseph, what Joseph did was you could say a big thing and you can say it's a small thing. It was a big thing in that his obedience to God meant that the plan for the birth of the Savior went through as God had planned. It's a big thing because he had to trust God in order to marry, uh, marry Mary, even though she was pregnant with someone else's child. And he had to trust that what God had said to him, what God had said to Mary was indeed true, that this birth was supernatural. I mean, it takes a supernatural faith to trust that it was a supernatural birth. If you were just to go by the flesh, you'd be like, oh, you so clearly hooked up with someone else. It doesn't matter what angels or what Mary said. You should be like, no, I don't believe it. It would be so easy for cynicism to take over, for fleshly belief to take over. So it's a big thing in that sense for Joseph to have trusted and to have continued in obedience. But it's a small thing, a small act of obedience in this sense. All Joseph had to do 
was to go through with the marriage. This marriage that was already planned. This marriage that was already going. Train had left the station well along their way to getting married. All they had to do was continue on. No one else had to know that it wasn't his baby. Just he knew that there was this supernatural thing going on. I wonder, and I try to put myself in Joseph's shoes, what would I have done? What would you have done if you were in Joseph's shoes? Would you have, as he had considered, quietly divorced her because he was a good guy, but because he was cynical and distrustful of both God and what God had said to Mary? Or would you have responded to God with this small act of obedience by continuing with this marriage to Mary? Here's the thing. So much of our daily choices are small acts of obedience. A choice between a distrustful cynicism and a small act of obedience to God in that moment. There are very few choices that we make that are these choices of great faith and grand gestures of faith. There may be just a handful that come across our lives that are those kinds of choices. All the other choices we make in life are these very simple choices between distrustful cynicism and small acts of obedience, trusting the Lord. We do often respond to God and life cynically, responding in a fleshly way, in a distrustful way, instead of with a small, trustful act of obedience. We can respond out of fear rather than love. We can take for granted the nearness of God. We can doubt the nearness of God when times are bad, and yet the gospel tells us that we are covered by the blood of Christ in our cynicism, in our doubts, in the times that we choose to disobey out of our cynicism, that we are covered by the blood of Christ. And every time we have chosen cynically, God says, I've already forgiven all of that for you. And I reckoned you as righteous because Jesus is the one who every time the choice came across his mind of whether he was going to do a trusting small act of obedience or a cynical disobedience, he chose trusting obedience of his father, trusting the nearness of his father to compel him to these small acts of obedience again and again and again. So that when it came time in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the doubts were so fierce, when he wondered if he could really follow through with the plan that him and his father had made to go to the cross, that in that moment, he did trust in what you could say is a big act of faith, but you could also say it was a small act of obedience to allow himself to be arrested, to continue on on his path to the cross. It was that small act of obedience that enabled him to sacrifice on the cross for our sins, to raise from the dead so that we might have life through him, so that we might be set free from the tyranny of cynicism, so that we might be set free to trust God who is leading us each and every day through the power of the Holy Spirit. I really just have one simple application for us this week as we consider this very beautiful truth that Jesus is God with us, so delight in God and his nearness. I hope that you will pray with me this Advent season, a very simple prayer. 
Lord, I rejoice that you have come near. I delight in the gift of the Holy Spirit in me. There's nothing between you and me anymore and evermore. I'm going to say it one more time. Pray with me in this way this season. Lord, I rejoice that you have come near. I delight in the gift of the Holy Spirit in me. There is nothing between you and me anymore and evermore. May the nearness of God push back the darkness in you and around you. Let's pray.